Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye talk, and I apologize. Doug Maurice here with the rants. It was like a day and a half late. Um, did not do a pod on Wednesday. There's two stories that I've been asking about all year, and I was able to get interviews for both of them this week. I think that's not a surprise. It's like it's before Michigan week, whatever. So um, it just completely was two extra things in my week that I didn't plan. And then uh, I had a thing with my daughter on Wednesday night. So I'm getting this up later on Thursday morning than I hoped, and I apologize to you guys. And so... Um, it's been it's a weird week for Buckeye Talk. I think it'll be worth it. There's something I'm going to talk about later in this pod with CJ Stroud, because uh, one of the things I did this week was have a have a conversation with CJ, um, and it's great. It, that guy's a dude, man. That guy is like a real guy, which is it's not like we didn't know that, but there's just some stuff I want to share uh, about the guy who's your Ohio State quarterback that I think is important. And so we're going to talk about that, but there's a lot to talk about with this team. There's a lot of Michigan questions, 100-plus rants this week. We're going to get to as many as we can. A lot to look at at Michigan. I do think this Maryland game is moderately interesting. A reminder that the 2020 game at Maryland was canceled because of COVID, and so Ohio State has not been back there since 2018, when right in this week, the week before Michigan, they almost lost. Stop the two-point conversion game in the 50s, right? And so that's like a real thing. And I think they're like really aware of that. There's so many differences between the 2018 and this team. 2018 team and this team. There's similarities, but like this defense is so much better than the 2018 defense. So I don't think anybody needs to be freaked out, right? But I do think they'll be locked in. And I and I do think um, there was somebody asking about sort of like the idea of, uh, you know, looking ahead with stuff like this and are people worried about Ohio state looking past Maryland? Um, you know, why aren't people let's, let's get to the two five from the two, five, three, everyone talks about the possibility of Ohio state overlooking their opponent, Maryland this week before the Michigan game. What about Michigan overlooking Illinois? Um, I, Illinois lost the last two. I do think they're good enough defensively for Michigan to not do that. And if Chase Brown, the Illinois running back, can play, then they're interesting enough offensively for Michigan to not do that. And then 
everything that applies to Ohio State this year is based off the fact that they lost two games and lost to Michigan last year. And I just, I don't think they're like in a mental letdown spot. I don't think they've, they're, I don't think they're in that spot the whole year because everything is, we we can't let something get in the way of our goals. And it is when everything is pegged to the 12th game of the year, you can't look past the first 11 because you know if you screw up the first 11, the 12th won't matter as much. Now, of course, it's really going to... I just... I just... I'm not there with this team at all. And there are times in the past when I have been. Not particularly specific about, you know, the week before the Michigan game. But I do think... I certainly, at times in my career covering this team, have had moments when I felt like, hmm, I don't know if they're locked in. I don't know if they're taking things for granted. And, like, totally, totally not there. So let's do this with this team. We, we wa- I want to have this C.J. Stroud conversation with you guys, but there's a couple other football things and uh, other things I want to talk about first. Okay. Defensive, being defensive about Ohio State from the 4-4-0. I'm feeling a bit defensive about Ohio State this week. The Buckeyes are not a perfect team, and they do have flaws. But I find it frustrating that with two games left, they aren't getting enough love. It feels like the national college football media has coalesced around the Michigan is the more complete team narrative. And on Monday's show, Doug and Nathan basically picked apart C.J. Stroud's Heisman campaign. With the understanding that everything comes down to the Michigan game, it's still worth noting that Ohio State is undefeated. They've won every game by double digits. They have two wins over top 20 teams. And the underlying metrics also support that this is a very good team. C.J. Stroud is the leader of that team and has had to produce despite not having his best receiver and not knowing which running back will be available in a given week. Yet the conversation about his is that he's not around him is that he's not flashy enough. It feels like if any other team and any other quarterback was having this season, the seasons that Ohio State and Stroud were having, we'd be throwing flowers at them. It's just frustrating because this team feels like the real thing. That's from the 440. Let's do this one from the 937. I've been trying to figure out why the national narrative has been so critical of Ohio State when they've been clearly the most consistently dominant team in the country. No other team has won every game by two scores or more. My only hypothesis is that the Ohio State fan base and beat reporters' constant anxiety and nitpicking is wearing off on the rest of the country. It's infuriating. I feel like when someone makes fun of my brother. I'm the only one allowed to point out how annoying he is. In the same way, other fan bases don't have the right to nitpick us. I want Ohio State to win the Natty every year, but never more than this year. Let's shut all these losers up. So, and then, like, here's the other side of that just a little bit. Our guy Josh in Orville, Ohio. What up, French Vanilla? This rant is a bit weird. It has to do with me and hopefully other Buckeye fans like me. I know this team is undefeated and has looked like one of the best teams in college football this year, but why am I waiting for a letdown to happen? Why does it feel like there's an inherent flaw with this team that just hasn't been exposed yet? Am I still scarred from last year's um, am I still scarred from years like 2016, the Clemson loss, 2018 horrid defense last year, getting run over by Michigan? I've been getting a sense of dread the last couple of Saturdays that something is going to come out and bite this team and ruin their season. Talk me off the ledge, Doug. Okay, so here's where I am with that. I, how do I say this? <laughs> Not a thing you want to hear a podcaster say like six minutes into like a 90, 60 to 90 minute podcast. How do I say this? Why didn't you think of that before the podcast? Sometimes a team has a flaw and you see it coming the whole year and you're worried about it the whole year, right? And I do think like the defense in 2018 for Ohio State is a version of that. And we saw what happened against um, Purdue. We saw what happened against Maryland. You, you could sort of tell that that was going to be an issue. And I understand, and and I think that's real. And I understand why um, you might look at certain aspects of this team. I think 
particular, I don't think the corners are really at that spot anymore. Um, I think Denzel Burke getting healthy. Ryan Day was really big this week on Cam Brown getting back. And, and I think Jim Knowles was too. Maybe it was Jim Knowles. But they, the, you know, talking to coaches Tuesday, the idea that Cam Brown is back healthy, had some 50-50 balls that he played well on Saturday, they really felt like that was a big deal. And I know that I think on a previous pod, we had talked about the idea of, all right, maybe it's Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock, and then Cam Brown's your third guy, and you're good to go. Like, they were really talking in a way that Cam Brown might be even more important than that. So I think Jordan Hancock back, Denzel Burke after his injury stuff, Cam Brown, his injury stuff. We've talked about that. 13 games missed by those three corners. I think you can see how that can work. So I I don't think that that cornerback issue should be a, a dread thing, right? Are they all Americans? No, but I don't think that's a dread. Oh my God, I can't believe this is going to bite us. I don't think you should be there with the corners there. The run game thing we've talked about ad nauseum, but it's 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 obvious to everybody like what the deal is with this. And I think we all have an understanding of it now that it's a lot of different things. I think the rhythm of the running backs is a real thing. And I do think the idea, like, it's it's not going to be, when your defense is bad, it's like, hey, I have an idea. Guys, guys, let's gather up. Okay. The defense was in, remember against like Purdue, kind of had trouble tackling. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to onside kick every time and never make the defense play defense. Like that's our strap. You can't do that. Like you have to play defense. So there are times and like 2016, it's like, hey, um, guys, guys, gather around, gather around. We have one offensive player. And we're going to have Curtis Samuel play receiver and running back every snap. And that's how we're going to do this. And that's how we're going to try to make sure we aren't shut out by Clemson. Like there are things that I know we talk about inherent flaws sometimes. Sometimes flaws are bigger than other flaws. So this short yardage, and it is the run game thing is we've drilled it on. It's really short yardage. I just think there's a much easier way around it. That And the issue is clearly identified. Nobody has any illusions about it. But there is a much easier out than sometimes the other inherent flaws. So for the dread conversation, I would say keep that in mind. For the national lack of respect, if you feel like that's happening thing, I think any good writer knows the flaws of the team he covers better than anybody. And you're if you know you, you get up close and you 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 can take now you shouldn't take the good for granted, but I think you have to be aware of the bad. And you have to inform your fan bases, your, your your readers and your listeners about that. I don't think nitpicking is why you may perceive a lack of national respect from Ohio State. I think it's this. I think nationally, the thing Ohio State best does best offensively is still the best thing about this team. And the best thing about this team wasn't enough last year. Because they threw it like crazy last year, and they still couldn't avoid two losses to Oregon and Michigan. So I do think nationally, you can be like, well, yeah, yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr., yeah, C.J. Stroud, but they've done that before, and it wasn't good enough. And then I also do think people know the defense is better. They know Jim Knowles. They respect Jim Knowles. But I don't know if they fully grasp, I think, how much better it is. And I do think the schedule there, especially, again, from the defensive side of things, I've said, like, I, you know, the defense is good. I kind of want to see it, you know, against like a higher level offense. They did a good job against Braylon Allen in Wisconsin. They did a good job against the, the you know, uh, the Penn State skill guys, other than Parker Washington. Parker Washington had a big day. They did a good job for sure against Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end. I think there's 
The thing they do best, throwing the ball, taken for granted because last year that wasn't enough. The thing they've improved on the most, okay, but who have they really played, which they can't control. But I think there's a, a lot of what they've gotten bet at, better at is real. And then you see the obvious issue with the run game, which does get talked about a lot, but it, it's not that... It doesn't take people asking questions about it. You can watch the game and be like, oh, man, that was a third and one they didn't get. So I do think a lot of it is the schedule. And I do think a lot of it is the thing they do best wasn't good enough last year. And it's a little bit of a Big 12 narrative, the old Big 12 narrative. And as much as we would get on here and I would in the past and I would talk about Oklahoma's defense being the Norman Middle School style of defense, um, they were great at they were great at throwing it offensively. It was incredibly dynamic, but was it good enough? It's like, yeah, Oklahoma's going to make the playoff, but come on. I think a little of that has leaked into the Ohio State conversation. And based on last year, I think a little of it is deserved. And that's, again, where all this conversation has come from from Ohio State. We don't want to be a team that has great passing stats, but doesn't get over the top and win the games we have to win. We don't want to be Oklahoma. They haven't said they don't want to be Oklahoma, but they've said we don't want to just be this team that chucks it around. So I think it's weird, again, as the Big 12 has become more of a defensive league, you know, you see Tennessee is a little bit of a, it's, they they run it a lot, and and at times if I've mischaracterized that this year, um, they chuck it around, but they run the game, they run the ball more than they throw it, and they've adapted sort of that Big 12 style of offense. Certainly what Ohio State does is not like a Big 12 run and shoot kind of thing, but it's a passing game. And I do think people love a passing game, but I think there can be a tendency to be like, yeah, but what else? Like, is that enough? So I think the lack of national respect is almost entirely, this team looks a lot, at least by a, with a glance, this team looks a lot like last year, and last year they lost twice. And I think that's mostly it. And you are judged by your past record. And then when Notre Dame's not as good, Wisconsin's not as good, Michigan State's not as good, all those things we've talked about, you don't have the great win as much as they've been by double digits, as much as, you know, they had to take the field against Penn State with nine and a half minutes left losing, but they they did it when they had to. You know, the Notre Dame drive at the end wasn't to win it, it was to ice it. They haven't had to win a game in the last 30 seconds or anything. They don't have the huge win to wipe out the Michigan and Oregon losses, and those are hanging with them when it comes to the national perception of Ohio State. I think that's right. I think that's right. This is an important one that I wanted to talk about this guy this week. From the 614, here's my rant. Josh Fryer should start over Dewan Jones after last week's game because I ended up yelling good block number 70 an awful lot during the game. I'm not sure I can say the same about 79 this year. So I think this was maybe not underrated, but I think it was an important thing that happened with Josh Fryer last week. And we talked about it after the game. We asked Ryan about Ryan Day about it this week. He did say Josh Fryer graded out as a champion. Last week, because Josh Fryer had to play for Dewan Jones, Josh Fryer found out, found out about it late. I think Josh Fryer might help this team down the stretch because we had wondered who's their sixth lineman. We had wondered about their depth. We'd, you know, we certainly wondered about the future tackle conversation, but this is a right now conversation. I think Josh Fryer could help this team now. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Dewan Jones is going to be benched? No, Dewan Jones is a, is a very good player, but I, I think Josh Fryer could play. And you just, you have to have a sixth guy. Otherwise, you end up holding your breath on every offensive line injury. And I think Pryor, Pryor could play guard if they, if they if something happened there, if they needed that. I think he's like their sixth guy. I, I He can't play center. If, they, if, they were, if there was a center injury, um, I guess you'd slide Matthew Jones inside and you can maybe fly, you know, slide Fryer to guard or whatever. But I, I think he's your sixth guy. Certainly, I think would be the next tackle up. 
would be for sure. And I just think you might need him. And I think you might see him. And and I don't know what that means, but I think that was really valuable because previously you weren't sure. And finding your sixth lineman in week 10, because Josh Fryer had been injured and coming back from an injury and, and used as an offset tight end and that kind of thing, I think that was really big. That is like a little bit of a, oh, okay... Right, that like the alien abduction is is a little maybe significantly less scary on the offensive line now because the way that guy played, and it, it's not that we didn't think he could be a good player, but he got a chance, man, and he did it. Like I I, I asked Ryan Day about Josh Fryer. I thought Josh Fryer played well enough last week that my one question to Ryan Day after the game in the post game press conference last week was about Josh Fryer. I thought it was that important. And Ryan Day was like, yeah, you know, I mean, it seemed good. Of course, you got to watch the film. Head coach, like, hey, did your, did your right tackle make all the blocks he's supposed to make? He's like, oh, I got to watch the film. It seemed good. Watch the film. Graded out as a champion. So I, I don't know. I think, he do, I think he might play. I don't think he's going to – he's not going to take Dewan Jones' starting job. But I think he could just help you. I think he could just help you down the stretch here. So, so if you are excited about Josh Fryer, A, the coaches agree with you, and B – it could matter. Let's talk tempo. From the 616. I had a dream that Ohio State played in northwestern weather. Played Michigan in northwestern weather. Oh, like like wind. And Ohio State ran up-tempo power run schemes and it worked. They ran the ball more effectively than Michigan and won 78-52. to I swear this offseason, I promise, we are going to have a dream podcast. And we are going to ask you for all the Ohio State football dreams that you have had in your life because it's too good. Our subconscious on this stuff, man, it's too good. And I don't like, I think it's such a crutch like in TV shows and movies when somebody has a dream because you can just have anything happen in a dream. It doesn't have to be realistic. And you can like, it's a crutch to convey what a character is thinking or to trick the audience. I hate it. But real life dreams, right? They really do tell us a lot. So I think we need to share all of your crazy, wild, predictive, right? Did you ever dream something that then kind of happened about Ohio State football? So please remind me. That will be an off-season pod. We've got to do that. But then this person, the 616, also has this question. Score aside, could up-tempo help the run game? It doesn't give the defense a chance to set up or sub out. It keeps the offense moving and allows Ohio State to sprinkle in some slants and bubble screens. So I do think... And, and again, Stephen has asked about this asked a couple of weeks ago, like why not more tempo? And Ryan's day said, like it's a, it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing you use. It's not a thing you are. You have to be careful. Complimentary football. You don't want to put too much on the defense. They do believe in the defense more. You want to get right. They usually say you want to get a first down before you get going into tempo because you don't want to go tempo and go three and out like Indiana did and have a fifty-one second drive. That kind of thing. I think it could really matter against Michigan. And I do think there's a big part of that, that it's not, uh, it gets your guys downhill. It gets the offensive lineman. I think like, I think it can be hard to go tempo and be like tempo, tempo, pass block, pass block. Oh, make sure you don't get beat on the edge tempo. But if it's tempo, bang, tempo, bang, physical forward, you're moving the pile. I do think offensive linemen can really get into that. And I do think it can be, I, I could see them. And again, we've had this pistol conversation. That's the short shotgun with the running back straight behind the quarterback. I think sometimes you can get tempo in pistol, bang, get downhill on people quick and just get a vibe to it. And then that sets up play action deep shot, right? So I, I think, I, I really do think 
there could be a world where they score multiple tempo touchdowns against Michigan at critical moments. And we look back and say, like, what were what were five of the keys to do high state Michigan game? And it was it was the way they went tempo and and got stuff. So I, I think and I do think the run game part of that is really smart. A really smart conversation. So keep that in your head. Keep that in your head. You just can't ask them to be I it's I think it's not the point, right? Because tempo also, you don't want to go so fast that now you get loose. Can't get loose in the turns. And and Ryan Day, again, I've really just gotten a, a, a sense this year, a handle the past couple of years on how much Ryan Day just really doesn't want to make mistakes on offense. And that almost like avoiding a bad play is number one on the list. And then all the explosive high-flying stuff is is way down the list, right? Again, um, I've really gotten – you can disagree maybe, but like that's real for him. So you don't want to tempo yourself into a mistake. But I think when you have a quarterback that you believe in, like C.J. Stroud, um, and you have a line that can get physical, I think there's a lot to it. All right, this is a Heisman thing, and I do like when we rant about things on the pod. Um, I think this is right. From the 937, I don't usually send in rants because I'm not a very ranty person, but after listening to the Monday pod, I have to say, I absolutely could not care any less about the Heisman talk. I like CJ, and it's no shot at you guys and your reporting, but genuinely, I only care about Ohio State winning games, and I cannot find it in me to care if one of our players wins an arbitrary award voted on by people who don't actually pay attention to football. So, um, I get it. It, it's interesting to hear. We'll we'll poll this. I didn't poll it this week. How much you care about the Heisman? We will. Late rant, but just listen to your discussion regarding, regarding CJ's Heisman chances like nails on a chalkboard from the 614. Turnover plays versus big-time throws. Come on. One-eighth of voters don't even wa- uh, watch two Ohio State games. The issue with CJ this year is limited need for big plays, limited sports center moments, short of one drive versus Notre Dame, and two throws against Penn State, almost zero high leverage plays. The problem is so many blowouts have been snoozers. That's why he doesn't have much of a, of a Heisman campaign. Ho-hum, five TDs here and there. The Heisman has become the best player slash quarterback on a national championship caliber team. Drake May has big numbers, but not really any Johnny Football or Lamar, Lamar Jackson type plays to get the buzz. If Ohio State cruises the next three games, CJ should win easily. If the Ohio State loses to Michigan, he shouldn't win and probably won't. So you probably could have done like a 45 second version of a Heisman podcast. That was that. If they went out, <laughs> if they went out, CJ wins the Heisman. If they don't, he doesn't win the Heisman. And I'm I'm not sure that's wrong <laughs> right so um that's that's okay but we did a little more than that. i i like getting in the weeds a little bit but i do think the point i think we tried to make it um in the podcast is that you know the voters aren't getting in the weeds like that so we can talk about some of those deeper stats and it's not it's not an actual thing that's going to affect how people think but i do think there's a perception to it which we covered but i get it that some people don't want that this is a heisman a little bit of a heisman thing from the 915 aaron from the 740 living in the 915 after listening to the heisman pod there is one x factor i believe you're missing now with the Nissan Heisman House commercials, I think they also want their winner to be a more marketable character, someone with lots of personality. It's a little hard for me to picture CJ Stroud in those commercials. What do you think? I can see it. This guy does have that. And I think he's shown it a lot more this year in his interviews. I th- he, he had a thing after the Northwestern game. 
about like how much are you taking the wind into account when you're out there making plays. And he's like, well, I don't have time to throw grass in the air to check the wind. Um, he has like a really dry, funny sense of humor. And this is a real dude. He's such a real dude. He's such a real guy. And he's really grown into that confident, you know, like he's allowed his confidence to come out. I've said with these guys, you know, they have personalities. You just have to have the confidence to show it to the public and to show it in media settings. This guy really cares. He'd be great. He would really be good in the Heisman house. I think he'd, he'd have a really dry sense of humor. He has an easy laugh. Like he's not Baker Mayfield, right? That's okay. He's not Johnny Manziel. Um, but he's not like an over-the-top personality, but he is. Uh, he would absolutely, if he wins it, you will see he will – they will be able to use CJ, which is not the point, right? But I do think part of this, and listen, there is like a campaign to this. And so I don't know if voters need to like see CJ's personality to vote for him. But all I can tell you is that it's there. And that um, the thing and, and, and the conversation that I wanted to have with CJ is, is just, again, the respect I have. And I've been talking a lot, you know, just saying this to a lot of people of like, the things that a quarterback does in the moment, the high-level processing quickly, how many people in their job have to process information at that speed, right? Which is a conversation about every quarterback. But a lot of us, you have time to think. So if you have time to think, then, oh, then you can be pretty smart about things. Or if you're just kind of like reacting on instinct, it's like, bing, bang, boom. Okay, I did this. I didn't have to think about it. This is a high-level processing. And um, his brain's a computer, but he's not a computer. So that I really like about him um and he 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 takes all this in I, he when we were talking he was talking about how much he likes stadiums and when he was a kid going to football stadiums is one of the things that got him interested in football because he was a basketball guy first and he's just intrigued by like the structure of stadiums and how they're built and how they feel and he was talking about how much he liked playing at Penn State in that gigantic stadium just like the way the stands are and, and how it feels and where there's an overhang and like how close the stands are to the field. And he just like, it's like, um, it is like one of those, like sometimes like you take like a standardized test and it's like, you're having to like imagine shapes in your head and picture things and people sitting around the table at this time. It's like a logic puzzle. And so that to me is like, there's an inherent um, curiosity and intelligence that comes with, I'm interested in the shape of this building. And the, the effect it has on everything that goes on around it. And, like, that's one of the things that got him interested in football. Like, he's an interesting guy. So I just promise you, maybe it, maybe you don't care about the Heisman conversation that, that much. But I, if he wins, which also it's not about the Heisman house, although I do love the Heisman house. I think it is one of the great modern commercial campaigns. Like, as a college football fan, the idea and to see all, you know, it's like, Baker Mayfield interacting with Barry Sanders kind of stuff, like Kyler Murray, you know, interacting with Cam Newton or whatever. I mean, I love all that stuff. He'll fit in. That's all I can tell you, right? He'll fit in. I promise you he'll fit in. Okay, let's do this one. I have so much respect for, for this rant. Maybe respect's the wrong, the wrong word. Respect slash what? It's our guy Evan in Oregon. My first child was born on Sunday, and I like it's like, oh my gosh, my first child. What is more, what is a more seminal moment in your life than the birth of your first child? And 
it's like a, Evan puts it, it's like a comma. It's like the setup to the joke. It's like, my first child was born on Sunday. Anyway, he didn't type anyway, Evan. You didn't type anyway. But there's an, there's an assumed anyway in this. <laughs> my first child was born on Sunday, and we are ready to have a national championship under her belt and then a dynasty to begin her fandom. My rant this week is, why is hospital food so bad? How do you mess up a bagel? How can it be both hard and soggy at once? So many things in life are going great right now. There's not much to rant about, but I thought I would dip my toe into nonsense talk. So much respect, Evan in Oregon. Daddy, what was it like when I was born? Well, let me tell you about the bagel. It was soggy. And and I will say my sister uh, in her career at one point worked in a hospital. She's not a doctor. (laughs) And one of the perks of working in the hospital was eating in the hospital every day. Because I thought it used to be that like hospital cafeterias were like practically, I, I, I have right there have been, certainly there are people in the world who like, who have gone to hospitals to eat lunch when they don't have to be in the hospital. I know there are areas, I think there's, I've heard of places where like one of the best restaurants in town is the hospital cafeteria because it is anything that like mimics like a college food court, you know, a mall food court, a, a hospital thing like that, where you have a variety of options. And but again, you get some like have an option like a, like like a nice meat and a veg right in cafeteria style setting. I love that kind of thing. So I'm a little surprised. I do think there's a difference between the thing you might be able to go down and get in the cafeteria hosp- like the hospital cafeteria as opposed to what they bring you in your room. Because I guess in the end they're just trying to keep you alive. If you're in your room, they're trying to keep you alive. If you're downstairs and those are maybe the people who are visiting, and you're also feeding the staff and everything. Not that the people. You know, there might be a little more variety to it. So I'd be curious if Evan went down and got the bagel or if the bagel was brought to him and his wife, who just had a human come out of her body. Sorry, your bagel wasn't great, Evan. How's your wife, who had a human come out of her body? Yeah, let me tell you about this. <laughs> tell you about this bagel. Hey, everyone coming to visit Evan and his wife. Hey, how's it going? Ugh. <laughs> this bad baby. The miracle, the miracle of life itself, just played out in front of me. Like, how can this be soggy and hard at the same? I know, I know you're leaning into it, Evan, because that's what the rants are all about. So I'm having fun with you. Congratulations on behalf of everybody who listens and is part of Buckeye Talk. We're excited for you, and there's there's no more real thing that you can do than experience maybe the most important thing that has ever happened in your life, and then complain about food which is so on brand that it practically brings tears to my eyes. So thank you for bringing that to us. Um, I know I know you were searching for a rant, so I'm just having a, fun, I'm having a little fun with you, man. Uh, all right, when we come back, we're going to get a, a little more serious real quick. And then we're going to get into some more CJ Stroud stuff, some other rants. We'll do it next time, Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Doug Lamarie's back. You can be part of this by being a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315. From the 412, this is real. I can't rant this week. The Virginia shootings remind me that football is a part of, not a refuge from, the world. I mourn the loss of those three young men, and especially I mourn for the families that will never be the same. Back at you next week from the 412. So uh, obviously the tragedy with um, three football players from the University of Virginia killed in that shooting. Um, completely agree, right? All all the college coaches were mentioning that this week. Um, how do you? How can you wrap your head around that? You can't wrap your head around that and you see and then you see you know the coverage and again people talking about who knew these guys the impact they had what they wanted to do beyond their football careers um for these three young men to be taken is like incomprehensible and you you can't what it means to those families because that's the thing i think about which is i think part of why we love college sports is because these the people playing it are not fully formed they are on the way to something. And by the time you get to be a professional athlete and you make a lot of money and you're a, you're an adult, um, you are who you are, and then there's all the good and the bad that comes with that, right? There's a lot of good. My gosh. Professional athletes, man. How fun is it to have them in our lives and, and doing the spectacular things that they do? And then there are sometimes things that they do off the field or off the court um, that are awesome, right? They're they're involved in the community. They're smart. They're changing the world in some ways. And then there's other times where it's like, boy, this person is really kind of out there. And like, why am I having their opinion foisted on me just because they're good at the sport, right? But the thing about college is that all these young people that we are that we are exposed to through sports, we see they're on the way to something, and we understand many, many, most, 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 most of them are not going to be professional athletes. I mean, it's the whole NCAA slogan, right? But they are on the way to something else, and we're catching them at a moment. This is this age group, and you don't have to be in college for it to happen, right? But like your teens into your 20s, that transitional phase is like a magical time in people's lives. And it's it, it can be hard when these young athletes are put on the biggest stages and, and expectations are placed on them at a time in your life that is by definition transitional, that by is, is definition by definition is like there's upheaval, right? Nothing is set. You're learning, you're making mistakes, you're figuring things out. And there can be a burden to that. There's absolutely great opportunity to that. But for an old person, and it's why I like covering college sports, is because it, to be around young people, and again, my daughters are of this age right now, and it's a spectacular time in their lives, and you all have young people in your lives. I mean, it's like the whole point, right, of who they are so far, but what they're going to be, and the endless possibilities. And when you are a college athlete and all the work, and again, this is an athletic podcast, This this applies to young people, whether they're musicians or scientists or in the humanities or writers or, um, you know, 
their trade schools and they're going to they're you know they're going to do things for amazing things in their careers right what they're going to be when you can start to see it you start to see it but you don't know for sure is magical is absolutely positively magical and when that's gone when that at that moment that's taken is too much to bear and so that idea is really really difficult and you can only hope um that that the families and the friends of those three young football players at virginia um can understand the 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 effect they had on people uh the joy they had in their lives in their their young lives um through the opportunities they were provided, through the work they put in to give themselves. Opportunities aren't given to you. You create opportunities for yourself. All the Every single person who's playing a college sport, not, not give, nothing's given to you. You created the opportunity by busting it to give yourself that chance to do that. But uh, I have really thought about this a lot because we all encounter tragedy in our lives. And, and for, you know, when you're a sports writer, your lens to the world is sports. And so... Um, I really have come to the idea of stuff like this that that we can say like is not what really matters. The little stuff that doesn't matter is what really matters because life can be such a grind and there is so much tragedy in the world. But why do we put up with it, right? Why do we do it? Why do we, um, how do you get through it? Well, the joy gets you through. And what is sports, but joy. So you can't stop. You don't have to stop. Now they canceled the game this week. Virginia versus Coastal Carolina has been canceled. And that certainly feels like the right thing. And whatever that team felt, whatever the people involved at the University of Virginia felt, whatever they did was the right decision. But um, I covered a young man in high school. I, I, I didn't cover him previously, but I knew the family. And there were three boys in that family. And one of the boys was killed in a boating accident one summer. And uh, the next year, the oldest brother was killed uh, in 9-11, was one of, in one of the towers at 9-11. He had just started a job there. And so the, the third brother was in high school. And he went and played his high school Friday night football game that weekend. Um, with his with his second brother having just passed away, and I covered that game, and and it was that he wanted to be with the brothers that he had left in that moment, and I've I've been around other tragedies where then people have turned to something like sports, and so my th- my thing about that is, um, we lo- we know those people because of sports. We feel like, uh, you wouldn't know these people, right? You feel like you know them because of sports. And so I do think whatever the people in a moment decide, but sometimes you can decide to lean into the joy at your lowest moment because that's what they were doing every day when they were here. And so when they are gone, sometimes the thing that we need to do is do that same thing. And it's not stop the joy to mourn the loss. It's to continue to joy the joy to get through the loss. So for Virginia to not play this week, it's it's 
it, it feels like the right decision, but again, whatever they decide is, but we will all get back to it. And for anybody who's not directly connected, and if you're watching a college football game on Saturday, I, I do not think you have to feel like, man, what's the point of all this? Or I can't watch this. It's too tragic. It is the point because it was the point for them. It's what made them friends. It's what made them uh, have an impact on people. It's what brought them out into the world. It's what made us know them. So I don't, I don't want to rant about this, but I, but I really, um, it's because if you just only deal with the bad, it's, uh, there's a lot of bad sometimes, right? And, um, you, you have to allow yourself to embrace the joy because, you know, the bad's not going to stop. The bad doesn't stop. You, you wish it did. You, you wish the bad went away. But um, it doesn't. So you have to look for enough good to counterbalance that. And so um, for those families, um, go find some joy in football this weekend. And that's why, that's part of why they were here. And that's why we're all here doing this and caring this much about this silly game, right? Because um, that's what this silly game, and it's, it's not silly. I mean, the big picture can seem silly, but that's why it's here. Because we're all looking for a little joy. And, uh, you know, on Saturdays for three and a half hours, whew, we know that. I know that from you guys, from doing this, that this is what this does. Um, and what a thing that is. You have a ball and 11 guys on one side and 11 guys on the other. And millions of people are happy. It's amazing. Okay, sorry about that. This is along those lines. From the 513, the Cambab story has cemented, this is, the, this is the other side of this, right? The Cambab story has cemented the Blocko jersey and the, the traditions of Ohio State. It's from the 513. It had been a good new tradition, honoring Bill Willis and the legacy of black athletes at Ohio State. That is important and valuable. But what really cements traditions are things you cannot plan for. Jonathan Cooper and Thayer Munford were worthy recipients of the honor and the responsibility of wearing the block O. But Cam Babb's touchdown took it to another level. It was like the metaphorical Heisman moment that will be burned in the memory of Ohio State fans forever. It adds a layer to the story of perseverance that the block O jersey represents. I'll tell you what, maybe other people were in on this. I did not, that is not the first thing that sprang to mind for me about the Cam Babb touchdown, but that he did it in that block. Oh, you see that zero come out with a knee brace on, right? And then you see that touchdown and you see the reaction to the block. O. I think this is an incredibly insightful look at this from the five, one, three. I think this is exactly right. And when you say, Oh, the block, Oh, what bang that, 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 that's it. That's it. That's it really smart and i think that is exactly right about traditions you can't you can make a tradition but it, it really it it evolves organically you can't 
so like th- that was such an organic moment, right? A lot of people had to had to do things, things had to line up to make it happen. But then nobody planned the celebration. Nobody re- planned the reaction or how it would make people feel. And, and you guys can watch out for it. I know for a fact that both ESPN and the Big Ten Network are doing extended stories about that this week. So you'll see even more coverage of the Cam Bad moment. And clearly it is it has gone national, right? We've seen a lot of people around the country react to it. Certainly Ohio State fans were aware of the Cam Bad story previously, um, but people who were new to it, and that it's in the block. Oh, what what better legacy? And I, I, God, it's a smart email. That is smart text. I mean, really smart. And I, and I, I think you're exactly right. And sometimes if you don't have something like that, something can fade because it's like, oh, we tried to do this thing, and then I was like, I don't know, it didn't really hit. And it's like, nope, block. Oh, that's not going anywhere. And I love it. Like the block. Oh, is so good. Because it's just like, oh no, it looks like a zero. You can't be the number O. Oh, you can be the number zero. It's a ball. It's a block. Oh, like love it. Great idea. But this cements it. Really smart. From the 440. I don't know if this counts as a rant, but here it goes. I've enjoyed Doug's writing since I would read paper copies of The Plain Dealer. My dad also enjoyed reading Doug, and often we'd discuss Doug's stories. My mom never really cared or wanted to talk about it. Then, yesterday, she sends me Stephen's story about Cam Bab and says it was a great article. So Stephen has gotten more positive feedback from my mom in a few years than Doug has in his entire Ohio State beat career. So, Doug, you're still my favorite, but my mom likes Stephen more. Sorry. You know, moms love Stephen. What can I say? Moms love Stephen. But that is also the kind of thing, I mean, it's a privilege for us. And Stephen did a great job with that story. He he even went out and talked to, to Cam's family um, beyond the news conference that Cam and CJ had. And so, but it is stories like that that connect, right? I mean, like, that's the stuff, you know, we write about the games and short yardage and all that stuff. But the, the stuff that really connects people is are the human stories. We all know that. We all know that. So um, it's one of those stories when you when you have stories like that. You just want to make sure that you convey it correctly because the story tells itself in a lot of ways. And Stephen did a great job with it. And it's like you just want to make sure that like people understand what's going on here. So, Mom, good call. Great situation. And if Stephen's your favorite, um, fantastic. This is about anger. From the 614, I'm not a superstitious person, but it does seem that by insulting the Iowa – I, I don't know how to say this word. It's Scion, right? Not Skyon. It's Scion. My wife's an editor. Sometimes she comes up. I think she listens at the door. Is it Scion? It's a good wordle word. <laughs> I think it's Scion. Insulting the Iowa like a f- old famous guy. You've angered the most famous Iowa-based deity, the angry Iowa running back hating God. Airbag. And brought its wrath down on Ohio State. So basically the bottom line here, whatever words I can and can't say, did I make Iowa mad? Because they've won since I wrote the Ferentz stuff. If Iowa, if Ohio State does in fact rematch Iowa in the Big Ten title game, would you be willing to perform some sort of ritual? Throwing some corn into a volcano perhaps to prevent what remains of Ohio State's running back room from being abducted by aliens. Oh, so I've... Not only Iowa is not only good because I did that, but now all the Ohio State running backs are getting hurt. Oh, that's not good. From the 616, I don't want to play Iowa in the Big Ten championship game because I'm worried Doug uh, ticked off the Ferentz guy, and I don't want to have Ohio State win by 17 and Stroud not look amazing and lose the Heisman because Doug riled up Iowa and things got weird. So um, we we talked about that. Like, that's that's real. That could happen. Um I, yep, that's on me. 
I was going to say like, I don't know if it's, no, 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 that's probably, now listen, they're not winning because of their offense. They're winning because of Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, and Jack Campbell and Riley Moss and everybody else on that defense is playing at a super high level. Um, but they are winning, which I think is like what Kirk Ferentz would say. And to me, it's like, well, if your, if your offense was like even a little bit better, imagine what you would be. So super interesting game, Iowa-Minnesota. I think we, we did lay this out. I think you guys know this. Iowa-Minnesota this weekend is gigantic. Because Iowa, if Iowa wins out, Iowa's in the Big Ten Championship game. And it's Minnesota and Nebraska to end the year. So if it somehow turns out that me making Iowa mad was like good for Iowa and bad for everybody else, I will own that. That's real. Okay. Quick break when we come back. CJ Stroud conversation. A couple other things. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk Rants. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, back on Buckeye Talk from the 919. I have a couple of rants, so I hope one of them gets chosen. But I wanted to ask you, Doug, and also Stephen and Nathan, but could one of you tell C.J. Stroud that he is fantastic? We are very proud to have him as quarterback and that he should enjoy this ride. He seems to be a terrific young man who has overcome a lot and is a fantastic football player. I asked the question because I remember a rant last week telling the fans to enjoy this. And I'd also tell the players to stay focused, but to really enjoy this ride too. I've seen CJ throw his hands in the air, put them on his helmet, and make faces when he has missed throws, or someone else on the offense makes a mistake. I don't recall seeing that last year. I'm not sure if it's the Heisman pressure or whatever the case is, but if someone on the beat could just pass the message along to him to enjoy this, and we are proud of him regardless of if he wins the Heisman or not, Maybe it will relax him and he can enjoy, and enjoy what is most likely his last two months of school and college football. So um, had a great conversation with CJ, and he is just a really high-achieving young man. And what I wanted to talk to him about and what I want to write about, I am going to write about. I'm not going to write about it before Michigan. It's, it's funny. It's I mean, it's not funny. It's real. It's like just some of the stuff I'm working on. It's like people just like, I don't. I don't want anything to distract, whatever. And it's like, that's not what this is about. This is like a big picture thing about how people go about their jobs. So, you know, not giving away any secrets, whatever, but it's just stuff I want to do. And so it, it's not a story you're going to see immediately, but you'll see it soon enough. And the thing to me is CJ as a problem solver. CJ as a guy whose brain, his mind is his best best physical attribute. And and he agrees with that, right? I, I said that. This is, uh, again, you guys know now, my part of my theory like my idea of questioning is like here's my theory do you agree with it because i don't want to write a thing that like i think this is where i'm coming from and if someone says oh no 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 then i need to change my path but he agrees with that and it's not to take away from his armor his legs but he agrees with that so here's the thing that i think is informative about cj it is hard and he will admit that like being the quarterback at ohio state is hard being ohio state the quarterback at ohio state is also great he thinks both things simultaneously because both things are true. But the thing that, that 
I, I got to understand about him. And, and listen, this is, I mean, people get to talk to CJ Stroud. People have relations with CJ Stroud. I just really wanted to, to, to chat with him. And I was so glad that the time was made for that to happen. Is he picked this because it's hard. And he misses home. He misses LA. This is his second home now in Columbus, but he didn't know much about it when he came here. It would have been easier to go down the street to school, to USC or UCLA, right? But he wants it to be difficult. And so when you, if you see him reacting in some ways, that feels like, maybe it feels like frustration, or maybe it feels like Man, is this guy on edge? I don't know maybe how you're interpreting actions that you see on a field. And I think all that body language is real. I think it does tell you things. I think I think people, right, when they're when they're emotional, they're they're at their most honest. So it's like how a guy really reacts, like, oh, I come in a news conference, oh, I say this, I say that. But in a moment, I think it is fair to, to try to read into that. He craves that. So he has said over time, right? I do think that last year more. Now, listen, I think if he's if you feel like he's showing frustration on the field, I think it's it's because of the high standard that he has set for himself and this offense because he understands how good it can be because he understands everything so much better. Last year, you're just not that you're just trying to get by, but it's like it's a little fast and furious. Now it's like, hey, we get this. It should almost be perfect. But he wants the challenge, and it's actually what drives him. And this is the kind of thing, this is one of my main philosophies. It is something that CJ and I talked about, the idea that our greatest strengths and our greatest weaknesses often come from the same place, and you can't splice people up and say, oh, well, get rid of your weakness, but keep your strength. It's like, well, it's the same thing. So I do think CJ, in the past, I think even more though, but like, man, when you have a high bar... If you don't reach your own standard, that can be frustrating. But he, one of the things, and this is where I'm going to center, I think, a lot of the story I write, he loves figuring things out his own way. And so this is a world where Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Corey Dennis and everybody in that offensive meeting room, they are doing everything they can to put CJ Stroud in a situation to succeed. And he appreciates that and understands that, and he absorbs all that. But he also wants to figure it out by himself. And he puts in a lot of work to do that, and that drives him. And he's been told, CJ, come on, man, like, let just in life, like, let people help you more. And you guys know young people like this. And he can have trouble accepting that help because he wants to figure it out. And that's not that much different from a young kid. It's like he... But don't you admire that quality? And so that can be a thing that can place a burden on you, that can create more stress, but it also is what makes you great. And it is what makes C.J. Stroud great because he is a problem solver and he does extra things to solve problems beyond what is given to him by his coaches. And so sometimes if you see him expressing frustration, that is the problem solver thinking to himself, I should have solved that and I didn't. But the frustration is the same thing that makes the next time when he does solve the problem, that's why he solved it. So, is the burden real for all these guys? Absolutely. 
They understand that. That's not news. That's not a secret that there, there are high expectations and high pressure at a place like Ohio State. But he sought it out. And I do think this is an interesting thing. And I relate to this because I was not born in Ohio. And this is mine is 0.0000001% of this. But I at least can understand where these guys are coming from. I was not born into this. I picked this. I chose to take a job here. I chose to come cover Ohio State, not because it was the childhood team that I grew up with, because I thought it was a great opportunity. Ryan Day wasn't born to this. Ryan Day picked this. C.J. Stroud wasn't born to this. C.J. Stroud picked this. And he wants it. And I do think as many of you are born to this, and that is spectacular, right? Your parents liked Ohio State. You were born in Ohio. It was on TV. Your grandparents liked it. Your aunts, your uncles, your friends. It was around you. You absorbed it. You went to school there. There was something about it that you 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 picked, right? Fantastic. And there are others of you listening to this who weren't born into it, who didn't come to it naturally, who made a very particular choice. Maybe you were from out of state and you chose to go to Ohio State. Maybe you were from out of state and for whatever reason, you just liked the player on Ohio State. You liked their jersey. Some... A, teacher that you write, somebody got you onto it, but you picked it. And this happens a lot in politics. I think that sometimes you'll see, and it's political season, political season just ended. So all those political commercials and stuff are fresh in your mind. A lot of times you'll see like someone's political thing is like, I was born here. I grew up here. Like I, I understand this place, like vote for me. And that's a very compelling message. And I do think people staying with their roots and um, is very compelling. But, I, but just as compelling to me is somebody who has no connection to something and chooses it. Why did you choose it? Because I thought there was a chance for me to be great there. I thought that it would bring out the best in me and I could make that great place even better. And that is the C.J. Stroud story here. And that is very compelling to me that it is, it is great if Braxton Miller grew up in Ohio, right? That's a fantastic thing. But like Justin Fields chose this. JT Barrett chose this. And CJ Stroud chose this. So understand that and understand that any frustration you see from him, if you ever feel like you see him carrying a burden, he chose it and he wants it. He's not running from it. And all of that is also what makes him great at this. So um, I hope I hope I can do justice to the story because I do feel like I, I got an even deeper understanding. And we talked through a bunch of plays. We talked through like a lot of his process of, of, of what he does to get ready for a game, both before a game and then once a game starts. And you can see moments where, you know, the thing with him sometimes is I think can look, you know, we were talking about a play, like a play that in the end might look pretty easy. Oh, that guy got open and I threw it to him. And it's like, well, you know, he studied that play for an hour, that one play that week, and then they worked it after practice for an hour. And then it, and then not even, it's like a 50-50 chance they weren't even going to run it in the game. But then when they ran it, like a guy got open and CJ made a throw and it was like, oh, it looks easy. And it's like, okay, well, here's all the things that went into making that thing look easy. And so that's kind of what I wanted to try to illustrate too, is that um, he's a problem solver that isn't necessarily is solving a problem like on Monday that is going to happen on Saturday. And I do think sometimes that can be less, less spectacular and I think there can be less appreciation for it. So, uh, and I think it's valuable for you guys to know that. I think you'll find it interesting.
So I just, he's just a good dude, right? I mean, I, I, I'm not going to ever come on here. These are young people. I'm not going to come on here and tell you if I think, ah, I don't know about this guy, right? Um, But I wouldn't come on here and praise somebody as what I perceive to be a really good person if I didn't think it. I just wouldn't say anything. So this is your quarterback. And to to the texter who said like, you know, hey, tell him, like, we're proud of him and that kind of thing. He's a guy you can be proud of, which is pretty cool because he's also like really good at football. So let's talk about this, this. This is a football thing. David and Valpo from the three one two. Here's a rant. And again, by the way, I, like I don't think just because it may add to the burden of a young person. Like sports is fun. Sports is interesting. Talking about sports, being critical, having expectations. It's all part of the deal, and everybody understands that, right? So I don't think we have to shy away from talking about perceived shortcomings in the play of a player, right? We're not going to criticize people. Um, young people, young amateurs, we're not going to say like, oh, you know, what's wrong? You know, but maybe there's a play that you say, oh man, I wish they would have made that play. I, I still do think like that's, I don't think we have to apologize for that. That's, everybody knows that's how it works. I'm not trying to like set up David and Valpo like, and, and that's, let's conclude our discussion about what a wonderful person CJ Stroud is and then go into a critical comment about him. That's not what I'm trying to do here because this is all real too. This matters, David and Valpo. I've read in two places that CJ is among the worst quarterbacks in the country when facing a blitz. I haven't heard anyone on the Ohio State beat talk about this, so what's the deal? Is this fake news, or are you and the crew dropping the ball on an important bit of CJ analysis, David and Valpo? So I, after reading this, went and tried to look up some blitz stats, and I didn't see them like right off the top. I, will, I looked at some PFF stuff. The number of pressures that he has faced is much lower than a lot of the pressures. That's now pressure, just like you're under pressure. That doesn't. That's a, not a category of whether it came from a blitz, whether it came from a four man pressure, whatever. He's down the list in that, right? There's another PFF stat of how of scrambles that you have. He's way down the list in scrambles compared to some other guys, which also goes back to because I do think sometimes he's pressured less and he scrambles less because he sees a problem com- coming and gets rid of the ball. Right. So against the blitz, I, that is not something that is in my watching of the games. I have not perceived, oh man, if you blitz him, you're in trouble. Because I do think a lot of times if you blitz him, he'll get rid of the ball and find the right guy. And I do think that the thing that jumps out, and again, I'm going to write about this because we talked about it, like the zero blitz, which is you bring everybody, there's no safeties anymore. The zero blitz against Notre Dame, where he hits Xavier Johnson down the seam for the go-ahead touchdown. To me, like when I think about CJ Stroud versus the blitz, like that's one of the things I think about. So against the blitz, is he going to like run away from a blitz and spin in a circle and make a spectacular play? He's He, he might. Is he as likely to do it as some other guys? No. But I do think he can diagnose and get rid of it and find the hot route and find the receiver that you need to find there. I will look into this more. And so it's certainly not something that we're hiding. If we have been dropping the ball on that part of the analysis, thank you for bringing it up. My perception at the moment is not, uh uh-oh, if you come out and blitz CJ Stroud, you're really going to have an edge on him. So we will look into it. I will try to go find those stories. I will try to keep searching for some more uh, blitz stats. And uh, thank you for bringing it to our attention. From the 330. Here's my first world rant with an example provided. We are scarlet and gray. Scarlet is bright red. Why then do all the TV stations use a color that tends more toward cardinal or crimson when their version of our logo or the score bar is shown? The person they're saying they're using the wrong red. 
sometimes almost maroon. George's color is more cardinal, but versus Ohio State Scarlet on the ranking show, George's color is brighter red than Ohio State's. Even the Big Ten Network, who should know better, has it wrong from the 330. This is interesting to me. I did look at the pictures that this texter sent, because you can send pictures on texts. And I did see what they were talking about, that the, the Georgia red looked brighter than the Ohio State red. So if we get to a point when Georgia and Ohio State play in the playoff, we will do a red analysis. We will, for real. I'm going to write it down. Do a red analysis. Because it is one of, it aren't, like, there's copyrighted colors now. Like, Ohio State Scarlet isn't just Scarlet. I'm sure it's, like, it's Scarlet 563 or something, right? That there's, like, an actual thing of what their color is that everybody would have access to. And so it would it would be weird to me that, like, TV networks would get the wrong shade. Because shades matter. So uh, point taken, and we will look into it. From the 513. Alvin from the Big Apple here, first-time texter, long-time Buckeye talk, Stan, how do you guys navigate podcasting without talking over each other? Have you considered a talking stick or other object that you pass around so only the person holding this object can talk? Keep up the good work and go Bucks. P.S. How can we get Doug his own Paul Feinbaum of the North talk show? Eh, maybe someday. Who knows? Um, the talking stick. So... I do think we do a good job with that. We're not in the same room anymore, so we can't pass a stick through a podcast platform. We don't use Zoom anymore. We use. I hope you maybe noticed that our sound quality is a little bit better. We're like on a third evolution of a podcast platform, and the sound should be better. Our sounds come a long way from like recording on a cell phone in the like the back of Ari's car. Um, but I also I kind of like talking over each other. I don't like podcasts where it's like, hey, here's a question. Okay, what do you think, Joe? What do you think, Nancy? What do you think, Steve? What do you think, Amber? And you just go around and one by one give answers. I don't, I actually like I interrupt on purpose sometimes, and I think on every podcast I'm on, and I do think sometimes people, my co-hosts, think I'm rude, but I think it provides energy to the podcast because it's like if you're in the middle of saying something. To like just get to the end of what you're saying and then have me say, well, you know what? I think I disagree. It's like I want to jump in and press you on something I disagree with and have you respond right away. And I do. Th I think crosstalk has energy to it because it's it's not like it's not a. I don't even know what the example is. Like it's a it's a podcast. It's a conversation. So you interrupt people in conversations. Be like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I do think sometimes people who don't know me as well and haven't been as many on as many podcasts with me like take it as disrespectful. And I'm just trying to bring energy to the pod because, like, man, pods need energy, right? Come on, what? Hey, uh, hey, we need some energy. Um, so we don't pass around a stick, but it does help. Like, so we're on video. We don't use our videos. We've talked about that. Should we put? the podcast like on youtube and use video clips and stuff but with you can tell when people want to talk but i also do when i'm doing the hosting stuff i usually do try to say steven what do you think nathan what do you think and at least take turns with some who starts the conversation because i also think i do not like podcasts when it's like well what does anybody think about this and then there's like a five second pause because nobody knows who's who should talk um i think that's bad too and then you go through the editing and you cut out the five second pause i cut out pauses too Right, I do edit this thing. I cut out ums and I cut out pauses. I don't cut out all of them because I'm not a professional editor. I don't know if you've noticed. But I cut out some of them because you want to have energy. So anyway, no talking stick because we can't pass the stick. But I, th I think we do actually, I think we do a pretty good job with, uh, with how we go about it. Um, let me see. Let's do this one real quick from the 440. 
Here's a take and rant for you, Doug. It's not super spicy, but an interesting talking point, maybe. James Franklin, the Penn State football coach, is the football version of Chris Holtman. Both solid coaches that have had slightly above tenures at very quality programs. Both are now deep into their tenures, and recent recruiting success has given them reason to still be at their current jobs, even though the lack of conference and national success suggests that they should be gone. The recruiting has given the fan base hope, but nothing about their coaching career suggests that they will make the most of this young talent, but rather that upcoming seasons will result in more disappointment. At first blush, I don't think that's a terrible comparison because like they're both good. And like what you think Penn State might be with Drew Aller and Nick Singleton and these guys um, like who are true freshmen right now next year. Right. And then you think about Bruce Thornton and Bryce Sensabaugh and all like the young guys in this recruiting class that are true freshmen right now for Ohio State basketball, what they might be next year. But like they've been good. They're good. They're good. Penn State's eight and two. Like Ohio State's been good in basketball. But have they gotten over the top? Right. I mean, I, I, I think there's probably a lot to that. So um, probably the expectations for Penn State football are higher than Ohio State basketball. So I do think if you perceive your coach that way, it's more tolerable at Ohio State basketball than it is at Penn State football. Because as we did when we did like the fan satisfaction things, Penn State's like a 90-10 or 95-5 school with football number one. And Ohio State, football is clearly number one and basketball is number two. So when you're number two versus number one at your school, that also affects that view of it. But generally, I do think that's probably a, a Pretty good comparison. Another quick basketball thing. Here's my rant. Can we please stop pretending like college basketball is relevant until March? This is just one more example why disnifying nothing personal, Doug. You're allowed to use disnifying. It doesn't hurt my, my feelings if you're saying that something. People try to say Disney. I mean, this is an ESPN thing. But also like people, I think, use disnifying as like homogenizing something and taking like the realness out of it and making it all glossy and shiny but a little faker and like they like the disnification of stuff and people use that negatively. And I'm like, yes, yes. Can you please make something real, a little shinier and a little faker? Like that's exactly what I want. So like I, you could disnify me. I could use a little disnifying, frankly. Anyway, that has uh, ruined ESPN. The disnifying of, of things has ruined ESPN. Nobody cares about college basketball in November. Guess what they care about? Football. Have the first meaningless November tip at 7.30 and cut the post-release show short. Uh, we'll all be better off. That's Todd from the 561. So this is specifically related to the fact that they delayed the college football ranking show this week to do it like whatever, in between basketball games. or And so that the thing that like football really matters, but we're going to do it around this basketball game. Why are you using the interest in the football rankings to like drum up November basketball interest? I get that. Like I, I do think it's silly but it's all a tv show the whole ranking show is a tv show so it doesn't need to exist you could just release the rankings but it's part of the espn contract right so espn is going to do whatever it can to get ratings and we have to remember there are people who really love college basketball there are there are there are i certainly have come around i am pretty much a let me know when it's march kind of guy on college basketball now we don't want to be disrespectful to people who care about college basketball but for espn to hold the football rankings hostage to make you watch college basketball in November is a big pain in the tuchus. That I 1,000% uh, agree with. All right, this is it's a quick one about 
reactions in the press box. Parker from the 517. Not really a rant, but something I've been thinking about. I was at the game on Saturday and was right under the press box. When I'm watching the Ohio State football games, I find I am analyzing things more from a knowledgeable about football perspective, right? Oh, I'm a football, right? Oh, that's a football thing. But I'm also still a mega fan of Ohio State who screams and cheers when something big happens. When you are in the press box and you see Mayan Williams rip off a huge touchdown run, do you jump up and down and scream, run, run, you crazy SOB, like us fans do? Or are you more calm and collected analyzing what went right first? Parker from the 517. So no cheering in the press box. That is like a thing they announce between, uh, before every game. And like you can't cheer in the press box. So every now and then somebody does or claps. Or Earl Bruce used to do it because Earl Bruce, the late Earl Bruce, used to sit like in the third row of the press box. And it's like every now and then like Earl Bruce would cheer. Like, well, Earl Bruce can cheer. He used to coach these guys. Like Earl, Earl Bruce, he would be in the press box because he'd like do post-game radio or whatever. It's like he could, like Earl Bruce can do whatever Earl Bruce wants to do. He's Earl Bruce. It's like this rule, please no cheering in the press box. And that's you previously coached Ohio State. Like that's a totally normal thing to do. So, um, and it was, it's crazy. I mean, like it was crazy to me. Like, it's like, it's Earl Bruce. Like it's Earl Bruce. Earl, the Earl headbands, he's right there watching the game just like us now. Crazy. Maybe Urban Meyer will be up there someday. Like if he retires from TV and it's like, oh, Urban Meyer's like right there. Coop is around all the time. John Cooper is there at the Tuesday news conferences now with Ryan Day. John Cooper's like sitting in the back, hanging out. It's like, it's John Cooper. He was coached here for 13 years. It's like, he's right there. He's just sitting here, hanging out. So you can't cheer in the press box. So people don't cheer. I do have my breath taken away by excellent athletic plays. So I would, I don't, I mean, I think we've talked about this enough. You guys get it, right? You get to know people. You want good things to happen to good people. That can go on both sides of it, right? You get to know the team you cover more than you get to know the team on the other side. But certainly you can root for good things to happen to good people on both sides. And and then we're all wowed by excellence. So when Marvin Harrison Jr. makes that catch and somehow keeps his left leg up and puts his right leg down. You're like, what? So there's there's like a, you suck in a breath or you go, what? Like there are moments where you're not cheering in the press box, but there will be expressions of like, I can't believe a human just did that. Whether it's breaking three tackles on a touchdown run like Mayan Williams did against Northwestern or whether it's making a great catch or whether it's a quarterback making a great throw or a great hit. You, you can express appreciation for that. But no, we don't. We're not screaming you crazy SOB, but but you're we're still human. We are still amazed by the things that people on a field do that the rest of us can't do. And you're you're allowed to be amazed. You don't root for it, but we're allowed to be amazed. Uh, quick skull session thing. From the 419, it's Eric and Finley. Hey, Doug, just got finished listening to your What You're Watching About to Biddle, and I can confirm that there are people that come to Ohio State games just for the band. I used to be that guy. Back when I was a kid, Ohio State was not on every weekend, so my dad would listen to the game on 610 on the radio, and whenever Archie scored, my dad would crank up the record player and blast the Buckeye battle cry out the front windows. So for me, the band was synonymous with the game being played. I have always made the Skull Session a must-see, and I am really glad that you finally got to experience the whole pregame excitement. By the way, when I first started going to games with my dad in the 70s, Script Ohio was not performed at every home game. I can remember going to games and being so disappointed, but it's great that they do it all the time now. That's Eric in Finley. Uh, again, we talked about that. I got to view the whole Skull Session last week because my daughter is uh, went to the game, and she's big into marching band, so we finally got to do that. 
This is Sam from the 330. Doug, I'm grateful to hear about your positive experience at the Skull Session with your daughter. I was a music education major at Ohio State from 2009 to 2013 and played trumpet uh, all four years during my time in Columbus. It was a seminal experience for me, and as a high school band director in Northeast Ohio for almost a decade, I have had the pleasure to see many former students earn positions in the Ohio State Marching Band themselves over the years. It brings me joy to pass down my love of music to young people, and there's nothing better than watching them continue to make music after they graduate, especially at my alma mater. This past Saturday was a first for me. My former student dotted the I. It was one of the highlights of my career to see him strut at the Skull Session and talk to him briefly before the game. I was so proud to see his hard work pay off, and more so, I love to hear the positive impact it had on your daughter and other young musicians. It fills me with joy to hear about how you support both your daughter's interests, attending marching band competitions, watching sports, or visiting journalism schools, etc. Thank you for sharing your life so genuinely. Shout out to Nathan for talking about the bass clarinet. It made my band director heart sing. Uh, one more part of that. Last thing, I want to encourage everyone to attend the Skull Session for the Michigan game, especially if you've never been before, even if you don't have a ticket for the game. You'll get to escape the cold temporarily, see the team walk through, experience many traditions, and feel the energy of the game. So, that's great advice. The Skull Session is awesome. And I do think, and, and I don't know what the proof of this is, I've, all, I've, I've really, I've been interested in this idea of it. What to biddle has potentially done for music education in the state of Ohio, not just at the collegiate level, but in high schools and middle schools and maybe even elementary schools, that marching band is such a prominent part of the most unifying thing in the state of Ohio is spectacular. And this can be a thing that comes up a lot, right? Mr. Holland's Opus, right? You guys have all watched that movie. Um, sometimes when there are funding cuts in school districts and it's like, oh, this is the music program going to take part of this? Um, what things like that do for students, right? Music makes your brain think in a different way, even if you're not going to go on and play music the rest of your life. Uh, it is a great way to exercise your brain and it is as fun and fundamental for the people involved as sports are. And so that that is part of what Ohio State football is. I I don't know if it makes it more if if it makes people in Ohio take music education more seriously or fund it more or make them more reluctant to cut it. It might be consciously, it might be unconsciously that like it's just you just have an appreciation for it because it's viewed as important. Like that's great. Right, And there's lots of important things. The arts are important. The sciences are important. Sports are important. You want to edu- We want to educate our children in as many different ways as we can. But, you know, it, it's often sports take precedent. Listen, this is not a music podcast. It's a football podcast. But the idea that, that in this state in particular, and a lot of other places too, we all understand that high school marching band, right? It's an important part of every high school Friday night around the country, uh, is spectacular. Right. So like I said, I, I certainly appreciate that. I also played in the high school marching band. Right. Um, it's great. So love hearing stories like that. And and, I, and again, I think it's a great point that you it's it's going to be. Uh, should I you do a ticket thing? I had a ticket thing. It's going to be tough to get in to Ohio State, Michigan. Um, the prices are really high and it's all on the secondary market. And that stinks. Um, let's see. 
From the 781, my rant is I was not able to get tickets to the game this year. Tickets are ridiculously overpriced, so instead of me and my son, so instead me and my son are going to the Maryland game. I'm from Boston, so it helps with the travel, make tickets affordable again. So I know the secondary market, they're up like I think 500 might be the get-in price for anybody. Um, it's hard because it's a secondary market. They've they've done the tiered tickets now for a long time. I think it might be like 170 face or something for the Michigan game. But it's hard because it's like it's not – Ohio State's not making that money. Like, Ohio State's not saying the ticket for Michigan's $500. It's a secondary market. I don't know what you can do about it. And it's like, well, make the stadium because it's $105,000 already, and it's through the roof. I don't know how you make tickets more affordable, but you can go experience it. You can go down. You can go down and walk around the stadium before the game. That doesn't cost money. I mean, you got to pay to park. you got to find a where, somewhere to park, right? You can go to Skull Session. And then, like, you could hang out and, like, watch on people's TVs in the parking lot. Like, you can find TV. They'd let you watch. Might even give you a cup of coffee or a hot dog. So if you want to experience it, if you want to be part of this next Saturday, you can do it. So, and or maybe, and then, like, maybe you could try to, like, run home at halftime if you live nearby in Columbus. But, you can, you know, if you can't get the, if you can't find a ticket for a reasonable price, and you're probably not going to be able to, um, that wouldn't be a terrible way to go about it. All right, we're going to have to stop soon. Um, let's see. There's some Michigan stuff that I want to save. A lot of people reacted to the idea of the back-to-back Big Ten championship games, right? That's um, like a real thing. So that is important. But I think we'll save that for like closer to Big Ten championship game week because it kind of it kind of moves into that. Um, let me give you the results of that poll, though, because I sent it out to the texter, 614-350-3315. When Nathan and I on Monday talked about the idea of could you play, you know, you'll get rid of divisions in the Big Ten probably in 24. We'll get into more specifics on that in another pod. What do you think of the idea of back-to-back Michigan? So here's here's the general overview. I think people are open to scrapping divisions generally and having one division. Specifically, they're not as thrilled with playing Ohio State-Michigan back-to-back. But like the result of scrapping divisions is the possibility of the specifics. So they kind of do go hand-in-hand. This is a survey question. I wish the Big Ten had scrapped divisions this season and made the title game the two best teams, which means Ohio State-Michigan would already be locked in. No, I disagree with that. I'm glad we still have divisions, 57%. Yes, I agree with that. I wish it was Ohio State-Michigan, 43%. Question two, if Ohio State beats Michigan, which Big Ten championship game opponent would you prefer for the Buckeyes this season? 38% Purdue, 29% Minnesota, 17% Iowa, and then only 15% said, oh, I, I wish it was this imaginary Michigan rematch world. So that's 85% pick something other than a Michigan rematch. You want Purdue first. I think people are just bored by Iowa. I don't think it's because they're scared of Iowa. Even considering the idea of Ohio State and Michigan playing in consecutive weeks makes me feel what? Different. Some good, some bad, but the rivalry will always be the rivalry. That one, that's the middle answer. 47% in the middle, but at the extremes, sad, beat excited by a lot. So the idea of them playing in consecutive weeks makes me feel sad. It feels weird, and I'm worried it will take away from the regular season game. That's 40%. It makes me feel excited. More rivalry is great. Bring on the new era. Only 12%. So that's like more than 3 to 1. More sad than excited. That's interesting. In general, college football conferences, as, as college football conferences continue to expand, which is better? No divisions. 
two divisions or some other option. Like people talk about a pod system where you'd have like mini divisions that you maybe clump together different ways. Some option with smaller pods, right? Which is like an in-between thing. That got 49%. No divisions got 37%. Two divisions got 14%. So again, no divisions got a third of the vote which creates the opportunity for Ohio State, Michigan. So again, generally, you kind of like no division. Specifically, you're a little worried about Ohio State, Michigan. So that's worth noting. We will do more on that. We will do more on that um, later. We're not doing much with Michigan right here. There's an exhaustion factor that people had expressed. There's like, how worried should you be? There's too much respect for Michigan, the run game question. We're just going to save a lot of it. I feel it. I feel it. I see it. I see it. We got a lot of it. But we're just, that's not exactly where we're going to go right now. Okay. But I do want to finish with this from the 330. Hey, Doug, this is Ian from Worcester. My rant feels somewhat sacrilegious, but I think it's time to be said. Mickey Marotti and the rest of the conditioning team and the training team need to be asked some pointed questions. Every single week, there seems to be a new injury or a player sitting out for another reason uh, for a seemingly minor injury. Everyone knows that Marotti and his team have been a not small part of Ohio State's success these past years, and that may be true, but that doesn't absolve them from the obvious amount of injuries this team faces. Marotti needs to be questioned about what he is doing to limit these injuries. I understand that football is a violent collision sport, but I don't understand how so many Ohio State players are hurt for extended periods of time. I have to believe that we have incredibly talented and dedicated training professionals and resources, but after the past several years of medium and long-term injuries, I'm starting to question it. Maybe these concerns will be alleviated when Ohio State is forced to release an actual availability report akin to the NFL, akin to the NFL in the next few years that details what they are actually dealing with from an injury standpoint. I truly do see that happening soon. But for now, for now my trust in Marathi and his team is starting to fade. Notice how I didn't even bring up the toughness aspect of this team that seems to be lacking and could be pinned on Marathi's shoulders as well. This is a rant for another time. Love the pod and we'll love your thoughts on this. Go Bucks. So uh, they are definitely dealing with some stuff that if, if it's like a, to me, if it's like, if it's like a bone or a ligament, that is just, I think the cost of doing business in football, same, unfortunately with concussion protocol, I don't know what you can do for that stuff. It's the soft tissue injuries that I do think piques the interest of people sometimes. And like with Jackson Smith and Jigba and the hamstring, that is where, and that he got hurt and then he tried to come back and then he couldn't. Um, I do think it's okay to ask questions. I mean, it's okay to ask questions, but I think. I don't I don't think we're at the criticism point. I do think it's fair to wonder about that, but I, I would have to look and analyze how many of the absences are potentially soft tissue injuries. This comes up at the NFL level sometimes, and Tony Gerdeman uh, did ask a good question this week about the NFL Players Association is concerned about turf. And should they do away with a particular kind of turf in the NFL? And I think there are some players talking this week about we need to go back to all grass. And the turf style of turf that is being discussed is the style of turf used at Ohio Stadium, which they've used for years since they had the field torn up, I think, in 06. And I think they went to the turf in 07. Um, and Jerry Emig, sports information director, said there are conversations happening within the Ohio State administration about the turf and about this discussion of maybe should you go back to grass because of injuries. So I do think there has an injury discussion about turf in football is underway, and it directly applies to Ohio State because they play on it and they practice on it. They practice on the same style of turf on the indoor and all their outdoor fields because you have to practice on what you're going to play on. 
That, I do think, is a real conversation. Now, that is not specific to Ohio State. That is not specific to Ohio State's strength and conditioning staff or its training staff. So I think that's more where we are. And I do think that can relate to a lot of like impact injuries, ligaments, you know, your foot getting stuck a certain way. And then I do think sometimes the soft tissue stuff, and I'm not a doctor, can be more about are you rehabbing the right way? Are you preparing guys' bodies the right way so you don't have these sort of like lingering, nagging injuries? So we've got to evaluate sort of like the full scope of the type of injuries that there were. Sometimes you just have bad luck. I mean, honestly, sometimes you have a bad a bad luck injury year. Sometimes you have a good luck injury year. And by the way, which has a great effect on your success in all of this, all the work you put in, it's like, do you have bad luck or good luck with injuries? Mayan Williams hurt his hand because he gets tangled up with the chain gang, right? That's like, what is that? That's not like, that's ridiculous. That's nothing. Like, how can, how can you control something like that? Right. But he's also had some other things that have been dinged up about, um, like the foot, you know, like the foot stuff that Mayan left the game with. And I think Trey's like some foot stuff. I think like some foot stuff to me, I think that really might be more like turf related, right? Cause it's that like your foot's not soft tissue. So anyway, point taken. I do think it's, I mean, we're not going to ask about it Michigan week because there's a million other things to ask about Michigan week. I do think it's an off-season conversation. And I do think, honestly, it's something that Ohio State will evaluate. Is there something that we can be doing better? So point taken, thanks for bringing it up. But I, I certainly do not think we are at like the somebody is doing something wrong stage when it comes to anybody with the conditioning or training staff. But we might be at the, huh, time to ask some questions stage. Too long too late. I'm sorry it's late. I'm sorry it's late. I'm sorry it's late. I, I I want to do these other stories, but I realize sometimes that my week is so podcast heavy. When I go out and do a little bit more of something else, it really does. It's like, oh man, like I just have podcasts lined up. So College Football Survivor Show, I hope you guys are trying that. We did a, I did a Browns podcast this week talking about what if the Browns had, had drafted Josh Allen. Um, hope you guys go listen to that one if you have any interest in the NFL at all. But mostly we just love you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. The pregame pod on Friday, Nathan, Steven, and I, we will do some more rapid fire there. There's a Marvin Harrison Jr. Heisman list of questions that I got that I saved so Nathan and Steven can check on that, in on that as well. Grabbed all the rants, read them all. Grabbed a bunch, did not get to all of them. We'll do, we'll twist them into questions and do more of that on the pregame pod on Friday. We'll also make our picks for Maryland and Tissue. We will do our gambling pod on Friday as well. Then we'll have the postgame pod on Saturday. Grateful, grateful, grateful to everybody who makes Buckeye Talk a small part of their lives. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to talk to you guys about this and the interaction that we get on this makes us smarter, makes us better. Uh, makes us more connected to everything that's going on with this because this stuff does matter because it's fun. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk Rants. 